Uh, hey, how many of y'all know what the hardest job is here? It, it, it's PowerPoint. Sophie, raise your hand right there. Hey, y'all give it up for Sophie who yeah. follows. Yeah, man. Dude, you know how much pressure there is on PowerPoint? It's a lot of pressure, isn't there? Everybody's singing. If you hit that wrong button, dude, they're like singing the wrong things. All right, Jackie Destiny, I think you have kids, and I think here's your kids today. So, man, special attention. Y'all give Jack a hard time, all right? Go get him. All right. <laughs> Very good. Hey, I like to bring this up quite frequently just so, uh, oh, and Milt back here. Yeah, man, Milt is your personal jungle gym. Climb on him, all right? And, uh, all right, so uh, I like to bring this up because it's just uh, who we are. It's our demographics. It's, uh, and I want everyone to know that no matter how often you are here or not here, if we don't scare you off, welcome to the family, right? And so, um, again, if you're a local, raise your hand, let me see your hand if you're a local. Okay, well, we've got a few more locals than non-locals today, but usually about 25% of anything we do are locals that don't happen to be out of town. How many of you locals go out of town frequently? <laughs> okay, yeah, and, uh, and so uh, the rest of you are locals like, dude, how do you do that, man? But anyways, uh, um, so that, that, that's the thing. We have about 25% who are locals. Another 25% of our average group are people who live here three to six months out of the year. And right now, of course, it would be people who are here for the winter. But shortly in the summer, we'll be getting our three to six month people coming mostly from South Florida. But how many of you live here three to six months out of the year? Let me see your hand. Okay, so we're down to about, yeah, it's about maybe 15% here today. Uh, then we have a number of people, and I don't really see many of my snowflakes here today, but those are folks that when they get tired of Pittsburgh, get tired of Baltimore, get tired of wherever, they, have, they don't want to live here, but they have a place here. And so whenever they get tired of where they're at, they come here for a couple of weeks. And they were the ones who deemed themselves snowflakes or now snow flurries because they fall on us and dissipate. So uh, they come, you know, 8, 9, 10, 12 times a year. So how many of y'all would classify yourself as maybe a snowflake now? Uh, okay, there you go, because you're, you're, you're my only snowflake today. All right. Oh, you're a snowflake too? All right, good. Yeah, see, we have a nut. See, she was a, that's why I say this, because I don't want you to, man, I just want you to know that whenever you come, man, you're just like a local does. You are here, and you are just as much part of the family as someone who's a local. And then another 25% are people that, man, we just have really uh, have never met before, or uh, we, uh, um, and, and then they might fall into one of those categories. So how many of y'all have we never met before? It's your first time. Again, you're probably like, okay, all right. She's like, all right, dude, they're going to make me raise my hand. All right, put it down, put it down, put it down. All right, so they're like, oh, they're going to make me stand up. Tell me where I'm from. No, we're not going to do that. I already did it in the parking lot. We're good. So anyways, the, the, the point of all of that is that we're a family here, man. Amen? <laughs> and, and I just want you to know that, man, no matter where you're from, no matter how often you're here, how often you're not, um, if we don't scare you off, welcome to the family. So, because uh, we get pretty fairly raw sometimes, and but I think it's biblically raw. So uh, maybe that could be our next shirt, JJ. Biblically raw. I don't know. But uh, anyways, so let's get into the, uh, where we're at today. And I'm I'm glad all of you guys are here. Um, so you know, when I was in seminary back in the I would have to say late '80s, kind of. Um, in, in, I, I was in seminary. I, I worked construction. I, I'd actually worked construction a lot in my life. I was one of the first laborers, if not the first, at Epcot back in, 
you know, the late 70s, early 80s, right in 1980. I worked a lot of, I did union carpentry, union like uh, labor work, you know, I was in the labor's union there. And, and then I worked uh, doing in wood shops and I've just done all kinds of carpentry, mostly is what I love. And when I um, got saved, I was actually working in architectural mill shops in Orlando. And it was, uh, again, it was like the early 90s, you know, late 80s. And, uh, and, and there was a time when Orlando was just exploding. There were really cool things being built in Orlando. If you were in an architectural mill shop in Orlando, you got to build things nobody else in the world ever got to build. Like, how many of y'all been to Epcot? Anybody been to Epcot? Well, like, yeah, I built a lot. Got to build a lot of stuff there. They're at, at, at the Italian Pavilion. I don't know if anybody here has ever been to Giletto's donkey cart, but out front there was a donkey cart, okay? And it was originally made in, in Italy. And there was a cart that was hand-painted with a donkey. Well, it, it, it got weathered pretty good, so I got to rebuild that. And I got to rebuild the donkey. Now, I mean, people don't say they got to rebuild a donkey before. <laughs> and so, I mean, that's a cool job. And so, of course, every time we're there, every time that it comes up, I would always tell my family, my poor wife, uh, before we had kids, I'd be like, hey, honey, did I ever tell you I got to make that? You know? And then we would drive by Wakaiba Springs up this one, and there was this giant cupola up on top of a building. And I would like, hey, honey, did I ever tell you I got to make that cupola? And, uh, and then later when we had kids, I would be like, oh, hey, honey, uh, hey, kids, you know, did I ever tell you? We yes, Dad, you made that cupola. <laughs> We'd drive downtown Orlando, and there'd be all these custom doors and windows and, and things. I'd be hey, guys. And they're like, Dad, why are we going this way again? And I'm like, Oh, did I ever show you that I made these custom doors right here? These beautiful little, you know, they're like, yes, Dad, you told us you made all those. And, 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 and one day, kids, we're going to go to Hard Rock Cafe and Universal because, uh, man, I don't know. I hear that in, the, in there, there's these giant 20-foot, like, stained glass windows that have, like, Chuck Berry and all those guys. Guess who got to make the giant 20-foot frames that those went into? It was me, and I've never taken my family there to go see that. Everybody, everywhere I went, I'm like, yeah, I had the blueprints, man, and I made that. You know, you know, and the same thing with these custom houses in Orlando when all these beautiful, new, exclusive Shaquille O'Neal neighborhoods were coming in. Guess who got to do the custom woodwork? I got to do a lot of it. I'm in seminary, and they taught me how, and it was like, you know, it was awesome getting to make all this custom stuff. But after a while, my family really didn't care too much that I had the blueprints to those. I actually saved the blueprints. I was like, hey, guys, you know, Friday night, let's, let's quit Blockbuster. How many of y'all remember Blockbuster? <laughs> Do you remember going to Blockbuster on Friday night trying to get the new, oh, my goodness, the new, like, whatever movie is not out, you know? So instead of that, let's look at the blueprints. No, Dad, let's not look at the blueprints because the blueprints weren't that exciting. You know what would have been really cool? If I could have taken them into Heathrow, Ashley, and said, all right, here's the combo to the gate. And out of all of these multi-million dollar houses that all these really rich athletes and people live in, hey, which one you want to stay in tonight? Would that have been cool? That would have been much more, much cooler than the blueprints. Hey, I, got, I can get us into Universal anytime because I built those windows right there. You know, would that have been cool? That would have been cool because the building is so much cooler than the blueprint. And that's what the writer of Hebrews is trying to tell the, the Jewish Christians about Jesus Christ compared to the old tabernacle and sacrificial system that they keep trying to bring themselves into to escape persecution. He's saying, man, all of that in the past was a blueprint. It was a design of what it was a shadow it was a blueprint of what God was going to do. Now you have the real deal. And he's trying to explain that to him. And that's what we're going to look at. 
in a couple of uh, passages of scripture here. So let me ask you a question. Would you rather have the blueprint or the building? The, the building, obviously. Uh, Norman, man, and, and you guys used to, have you guys ever noticed when you walk out that beautiful white house there? I really, you said that last week, and I, I really was thinking the little white house. But no, it was that beautiful white house right there. Yeah, the White, House, the White House, beautiful White House. Norman, who designed that? Oh, tell me who designed that. Norman designed that house, man. Norman. Yeah, that's awesome. A beautiful house. And that's why you say it. I don't know why we ever left. <laughs> because every time you walk out, that's a beautiful house. And pray because I think they want to come back and God's kind of working on them on a little house right now. And she real, you believe it's God's will too? Mm-hmm. All right, cool. Be praying for Norman and, and, and the, the house they're looking for. But in this, man, what, what, would be, what would be cooler? I mean, what if you just had the blueprints of that house? You know, would you be satisfied with the blueprints of that house? No. Everybody would go by, and they would ask for the blueprints of that house, and Norman would come running over, and he would give them the blueprints. Yeah. But, but what's even cooler than the blueprints? Exactly. If you could go walk into that house right now and claim it as yours, that would make you so much happier than a copy of the blueprints. That's what Jesus is. When we live in Jesus, that's the house, not the blueprints, man. And so any kind of form of legalism where we're trying to obey the law, trying to do this, trying to, you know, uphold all this is is the blueprints. And it's not nearly as cool as just simply living in Christ, giving. uh, He told us he tried to tell people in the Sermon on the Mount. And, and by the way, the Sermon on the Mount wasn't like just a one-time deal. Many people believe that Jesus really had one message, the kingdom message. And what you read in the Sermon on the Mount was something that he preached everywhere he went. And one of the most famous lines in that verse says, Seek first, seek only, seek always the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and everything you need will be added unto you. And so what he's telling us is the key to the kingdom is let him be the king. What areas do we need to let him be the king in? Every single area of our life. And we find an area where we're being the king or we're letting some circumstance be the king or someone else be the king. We've got to surrender that again to let him be the king. And that's the kingdom principle. That's how we live in Christ. And that's how we enjoy the building and not just the blueprint. And so would you rather have the blueprint or the building? Who wants the blueprints? Well, I'll take them if that's all you're offering. But how many of y'all want the building, man? You know what I'm saying? So check this out. Hebrews chapter 8, verse 1, 2. We looked at this last week, this particular one. And we're going to bust through a few more verses in here. He said, again, here's the main point. We have a high priest who sat down in the place of honor. We talked about him sitting down and sitting in the place of honor beside the throne of the majestic God in heaven. In other words, he's in heaven, which is our home. And we spent a good two, three hours talking about that last week. Y'all remember? And uh, so, uh, hey, don't shoot the messenger, man. All right, but anyways. So now we get into verse two, okay? There. Where is there? Heaven. Okay, there he. Who's he? Jesus. Okay, so in heaven, Jesus, look what it says. He ministers. And what does it mean to minister? When you minister to somebody, what does that mean? Eh? Yeah, you teach, you serve, you find, you help, you assist, you, that's what ministers. So in heaven, Jesus is serving. And who's he serving? 
us. Do you understand that that's who we have in heaven? That's what's going on? He's not there hanging back in a hammock just waiting for us to get there because everything's built. He just had to speak and exist. He's not there taking a vacation waiting for us. He is ministering to us. And so he says, there Jesus in heaven ministers and serves in the heavenly tabernacle. This is as opposed to the earthly one, where the earthly one, dude, again, I told you, man, if you were a, if, if you were a priest in the Old Testament, you were a butcher and a barbecuer. That's pretty much what you did. And, and, and you, were, you learned how to clean up a lot of blood. But he's in the heavenly tabernacle. Look at this, the true place of worship that was built by the Lord and not by human hands. He's saying, man, why do you want to go back to this blueprint when you can have the building, you can have the real thing? That's the, that the tabernacle is nothing but a picture of our salvation and of what Christ would do in heaven. And so he goes on and he shows us what the blueprint is <clears throat> and how faulty just having the blueprint is. So in the next few verses of Hebrews 8, he said, and since every high priest is required to offer gifts and sacrifice, ours must make an offering too. Hey, let me ask you a question. What did he offer as a sacrifice? Himself, Himself right? And was that acceptable? How many times did he have to do that? Once. And then what did he do? He went and he sat down because he was done. The other priests had to keep offering, keep offering, keep offering. And so it says our high priest has to make an offering too. If he were on earth, he would not even be qualified to be a priest. Why is that? Because what tribe did he come from, Allie? He came from Judah, and all the other priests came from what tribe? Levi. Levi, right. So he wouldn't be qualified for the earthly tabernacle because he qualifies for such a higher tabernacle. And he goes, and plus, there's already priests who are offering the gifts required by the law. So he said, you know what? That, that reg, the Levitical system's still going on. And he said, that's just still happening, but I'm telling you what Christ has done since his resurrection is so much better. He said, they serve in a system of worship that is only a what? And a? Of the real one. You get it? It's a blueprint. It's a shadow. It's a copy. It was, at this point, it was, it was a picture of what was to come, which is exactly what a blueprint is. Why would you want to live in the blueprint when, off of the blueprint, when you can live in the building? And he said, so you have something that everybody has been waiting for. The prophets had pre been waiting for generations for all of this. He said, man, this old system is only a copy, a shadow of the real one. And the real one is in where? Heaven. In heaven. For when Moses was getting ready to build the tabernacle, God gave him this warning. Be sure that you make everything according to the blueprint pattern that I have shown you here on the mountain." So he said, he was saying here, make it all according to this. And Moses got it made. So now we see that, that that was the blueprint of it. And that's all it was meant to be. But now let's look at this building in the next couple of verses. He says, but now <laughs> I love that. But now everybody say, but now. But now. Yeah. Is it how many of y'all could use some but nows in your life? You know, this is going on. This is going on. Have you ever prayed for a but now? <laughs> That's a good prayer, but now God, and then add Jesus and make it even a better prayer. But now Jesus, because anything after the but now is inferior to Jesus. But now Jesus, our high priest, our high priest has been given a, what's this next word? Ministry. And what is ministry again? It's serving. Yeah. 
He's serving. He's, he's serving us. He's setting us up to succeed. Now, again, that doesn't make Jesus our slave by any means. Please don't understand it that way. Understand that, that the greatest one in the universe is setting you up to succeed. He's serving, making sure that whatever he calls you to do, you have the ability to do. And also kind of throwing roadblocks in the way for you not to be able to do whatever it is you're not supposed to do. Anybody ever find roadblocks? <laughs> that just might be, yeah, him directing your will. I am totally, totally convinced that God often determines his will for our lives by what he provides. By what he provides. How many of y'all ever like, well, I'll get busy when he does. I'll get busy when this happens. I'll get busy. You know, man, if I go in, my family expects me to cook dinner. You know? And, and for example, today, dude, I've got some brats. And I should have probably cooked them this morning. They should have probably been in the oven. By the way, dinner's going to be late. All right. Just, but I got some brats, man. People around here don't want brats. Oh, no, man. I got some. Yeah. No, not like you guys. Yeah, not like you guys in Wisconsin, dude. I probably should have had you guys cook them for me. I've got some brats. I've got some green peppers. I've got some onions. And, and we throw a little jalapeno in there, too. But um, so I've got, I've got the brats. I've got some, um, you know, i got buns. i got everything there. So when I get home, what, what do you think I need to make? Brats, right? I'm going to smoke them. I'm going to saute everything up. I'm going to put them in the bun. How many of y'all getting hungry right now? You're like, dude, let me go now. You can if you want. But, um, but man, the brats aren't going to be ready until about, what, 4 o'clock? No, I'm just joking. But they're, So I'm going to make brats. But what if I go home and I've got everything to make brats, but I decide, man, we want steak, and we want potatoes, and we want asparagus, or whatever you want we were saying. We want, dude, there's a problem. Well, I'm not eating until I get all of that. Well, guess what? You might just go hungry in my house. And that's the way it happens with God. If God puts, gives you brats, what does he want you to eat? Brats, yeah. Don't wait for the steak, man. I'm just saying. Now, again, we don't do anything unspiritual, but so often God is showing us his will for our lives by what he provides. So goes on and says, man, but now Jesus, our high priest, has been given a ministry that is far superior. How superior? Far. far, that's far, way more. It's not just a little bit, far superior to the old priesthood. For he is the one who mediates. He's the one who stands between us and God to make us successful. He mediates for us a better covenant with God based on better promises. What's the B word you see over and over again in here? Better, yes. In fact, I can make some brats, but I bet if I had these Wisconsin people come in, they could make some better brats, probably. You know, a better, they'd be way better because they, they know the ingredients. They've been making them since they were in diapers, right? Brats, that's, that's Wisconsin food, right? But now if you want some swamp cabbage, you better let me make it, all right? So, but, so in this, he said, man, I've got a better covenant. We have a better mediator who's based on better promises. This is just all around better. Why would you want to keep going back to the blueprint just to escape a little persecution, to make life a little easier right here? Do you think it's going to be easier? It's, if you seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, what's going to be added to you? Everything. Everything you need. Maybe not in your time frame. Maybe not the way you want. But when you ride it all out, you will look back. How many of y'all have ever looked back and said, man, I am so glad God did it that way? Anybody? Yeah. So it says... Man, it's just a better way. Stick with it, guys. If the first covenant had been faultless, wait a minute, the first covenant, who made the first covenant? 
God made it. So he said, if it would have been faultless, there would have been no need for a second one to replace it. So did God make a mistake? Because there's a fault with the first covenant. No, but it, we're going to see what the fault is. He says, but when God found fault with the what? Yeah, dude. Was the fault with God's covenant? No, the fault was with the people. Aren't you glad that doesn't represent us? <laughs> Joking, it does. <laughs> is there a problem with the Bible? No, the problem is with the people trying to follow the word of God. How many of y'all ever have a problem with that? Yeah, that's us. That doesn't mean the word is inferior. doesn't mean his covenant was inferior. But, but God said, this is a blueprint, and I'm going to make one. I'm going to make a building that's going to be faultless here off of this. So when God found fault with the people, he said... The day is coming. Oh, somebody's talking to us here? All right. Hey. Somebody called and said, hey, dude, we're not going to be at church today. <laughs> you probably just got, you know. All right. The day is coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and Judah. Oh, by the way, let me ask you a question. According to um, the book of Revelation, even, um, who is, who are Jews? Who are the Jews right now? Go ahead, Matt. Anyone who's Exactly. That's what he said. In fact, he even told the people in Smyrna, I think it was Smyrna. He said, he said, these guys think they're Jews, but they're not. They come from Abraham, but they think they're Jews, but they're not. They're from the synagogue of Satan. And he's saying that the ones who are not from the synagogue of Satan are is anybody who has ever given their life to Christ. We are spiritual Jews. So he's talked. That's who he's talking about in here. Yes, the the uh, the historical Jews, the people who were born from or come from the seed of Abraham. But he's also talking. He's talking about the spiritual Jews, which we're included in. He said, "I make a new covenant with the people of Israel and Judah. This covenant I will be will not be like the one I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand. I took them by the what? <laughs> God took them by the hand and He led them out of the. Ashley, you ever take Keone by the hand?" And what happens sometimes? Oh, dude. Yeah, he's got slippery little hands, man. You got him by the hand and you're taking him by the hand. All of a sudden it's like, whoa, he's got methods where, I don't know, he just drops. And all of a sudden there's like a ton of weight that just falls and then he runs. He's gone. Aren't you glad we don't do that with God when he takes us by the hand? <laughs> How many of y'all got escape moves with God? And then you can justify him that this is spiritual, <laughs> you know, in that. So he said, man, I took them by the hand. I led them out of Egypt. There was no more love I could show them. And the same thing true with us because our Egypt is our old life of sin before we gave our life to him. <coughs> he said, but they did not remain faithful to my covenant. So to get their attention, <laughs> I turned my back on them, says the Lord. And I added that in there, but that's what he did. He turned his back on them. Nothing worse. Have you ever had in your, in your spiritual life Man, how many of y'all have ever just known you've been walking in God's presence? You ever been there? You just, man, you feel him, you see him, you know. How many of you have ever felt like God took his hand off you as a believer? Is there not a scarier place in the world, man, than as a believer to feel as though God has taken his hand off? He hasn't, positionally speaking. He's never going to leave you or forsake you. But I think there's some times where he's silent and he wants us to come crying. Dude, how many of y'all remember Montgomery Wards? Dude, Monkey Wards. We used to call it Monkey Wards in Orlando. And it was like right across the street from J.M. Fields. And those were the only departments. That was for Kmart, Walmart, for Amazon. <laughs> it was for, you know, all of those. And 
I can remember on Friday night, you know, whether we ate at home or ate somewhere else, we'd go walk through monkey wards and, you know, and my, my mom would dream and, you know, we would all just go. It wasn't, it wasn't buying, it was shopping, man. <laughs> we were just walking through. And, dude, I remember J.M. Fields and monkey wards. I, I used to love the sporting goods aisle. And I would just walk and be mesmerized by the fishing rods. And literally as I'm walking through looking at fishing rods, man, I'd be just dreaming a big fish, man. I would even hold, I'm just a little guy, and I'd be holding the fishing rods going, oh, you know, thinking I'm catching fishing rod, uh, a fish and playing. Anybody else do that? Probably not. <laughs> <laughs> this explains a lot, okay? But, man, I would just be lost in all of that. And, and, and I can remember one time in Monkey Wards, man, that was a big store, dude, especially when you're a little guy. And I'm just like dreaming like Ernest Hemingway or whatever, man, I'm catching some. And then I look up, and guess who was nowhere to be found? My parents. <gasps> Man, I could not find my parents anywhere. I put the fishing rod up. I can remember looking at the next aisle, going back and looking at the other aisle, looking. And what did I do next? Mommy! I just cried out for my parents. And I kept crying for my parents and crying for them until security guards got me and they found my parents. But... <laughs> But man, that was, I still, as a little child, man, I remember, I'm traumatized to this day because of being lost at that time. And every time, hey, Kevin Deese, what's up, brother? All right. So I'm traumatized. And every time I, I think about being separated from God, man, anytime I think about that, even if it's not for real, but it's only imagined in my life, I think of what it was like being lost in monkey wards as a little five-year-old boy. And how scary when God, nothing worse in your life than God to just say, okay, you want to do that? I'll take my hands off. You let me know when you're ready, ready to follow me again. Man, what a scary thing. Because you know what? I still remember grabbing the fishing rod. I still remember all what I was doing and everything. I, it wasn't like immediately I was lost. Dude, I got caught in a fantasy. I got caught in, in, in having fun, man. Dude, you should have seen the marlin I caught. And, and you should, man, it was all so real. And I just remember putting it up, and I remember then realizing I was lost. And that's the way it happens sometimes. We wander. Know that he's still there, and all you got to do is cry out. I really wasn't planning on saying any of that, so somebody here needed to hear that. And if you feel as though, man, he's taking his hand off of you, know that monkey ward story's for you. And it's for me. And just cry back out for him. Just cry like a little child who's lost from his parents. And dude, he won't send a security guard. He'll come and grab your hand. And he'll take you. Just don't. As he's taking you, leading you by the hand, man. Don't try to escape. Man, I am never I am amazed at all the escape tactics Keone has in getting away from me. <laughs> and getting away when we're trying to hold his hand and he wants to go somewhere else. But it reminds me of me with God sometimes. Don't do that. So anyways, he said, they didn't remain faithful in my covenant. So I turned my back on him, says the Lord. But this, but this is the new covenant I will make with the people of Israel on that day, on the days, says the Lord. And this is out of Jeremiah. He said, I'm going to put my laws in their mind. Check this out. This is what happened if you became born again. It's like, it wasn't like all of a sudden somebody gave you a convincing speech and you bought all the arguments. It was, you know, you just simply, do you remember when you gave your life to Christ? It might not even have made sense. It's just like, all of a sudden, it's just like, dude, this is right. God gave you the ability to believe. It was put in your heart. You remember that, Brittany? It was like in the past, it was foolishness. And all of a sudden now it's like, duh, you know, where do I sign up? He said, I'm going to put this covenant, uh, I'm going to put my law in their minds. I'm going to write them, write it in my heart, in their hearts. I will be their God and they'll be my people. 
And they will not need to teach their neighbors, nor will they need to teach their relatives saying, you should know the Lord. Now, I'm not saying we don't share what we know with each other because that goes against the Great Commission. But what I am saying is, is that bottom line is if the Holy Spirit gives you the desire and ability to believe in Jesus Christ, do you need somebody else there to help you do it? No. He puts it in your heart. This is the problem sometimes is we still think. And there's a lot. The reason a lot of the church is going to end up in hell. Matthew 7, one of the saddest chapters in in the Bible where they're getting separated again. And these people going in the wrong direction are like, didn't I do this in your name? Didn't I? Didn't he say, yes, but you and I never had a thriving relationship. Because what happened with many people is salvation came to their head. And then they tried to force it into their heart. And so they were trying to conform. It went from their head. They took whatever made sense, whatever they could understand, trying to apply it as opposed to salvation comes in your heart. Salvation comes in your heart and whatever God gives you the desire and ability to believe, you do, right? Roger, are you going to understand everything about God? No, you're a smart dude, right? You can understand a lot of things, but are there some things you can't figure out in this word? Exactly. It goes, salvation doesn't go from your head to your heart. Otherwise, people with me, like me, would never figure it out. Anybody else like me? You ain't the sharpest marble in the box? You know what I'm saying? Aren't you glad it goes from your heart to your head? He gives you the desire and ability to believe in him. And you just go, okay. <laughs> and, and you give it a shot. And if you're from the world, you say, there ain't no way this is going to work. Okay, I'll do it your way. And all of a sudden, it works. And you keep doing it, and it worked. Matt, what were we talking about the other day? Remember that in the truck? Uh, Sorry, I'm still thinking about the sharpest mob. Yeah, okay. <laughs> I'll explain that one to you later, brother. But Mac was just telling me, he said, man, we were having a discussion uh, 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 over here somewhere. They were having a discussion about how, how when you, you just, you know, at first you kind of question God's word. You question, like, you know, will this work? Now, after a while, you just, you just fall into it. It's like you know it's going to work. You just do it, no matter whether it makes sense. Now, you remember that, that conversation? Yeah, I do. Is, is that a fair? What yeah, we, I, you know, it's, it's kind of amazing that you look at God's word, and, and then at some point in your, in your Christian walk, it makes sense. Yeah. It just makes sense. When in the past, it would have, dude, what a stupid way to live. What a dumb way to do things. But all of a sudden, God gives you the desire and ability. You're like, okay. And it, the more childlike your faith is, the better. The more you try to figure it out, the more God's got to show you who's boss. Just do it. That spirit-filled life is one step. What do you want me to do now, God? Do it. What do you want me to do now, God? And you do it. And you keep walking that way. That's what he's saying is going to happen. It's not like you're going to follow this legal system and then I'm going to say, yeah, yeah, you scored an 80. You're in. <laughs> you know, oh, you got a 60. You're going to have to go try again. We'll create something called purgatory or something. They give you a second. Well, that, that's a makeup test. Or what is it? Oh, extra credit, right? <laughs> you know, no, it's not like that. He said, I'm just going to put it in your heart to have a desire and ability to follow me. And that's what he says is going to happen. Isn't that what happened to us? We're enjoying that building instead of the blueprint. He says, man, everyone from the least to the greatest will know me already because he's putting that love and that knowledge in. And I'll forgive their wickedness. I will never again remember their sins. When God speaks of a new covenant, it means that he has made the first one what? Obsolete. What does it mean to be obsolete? Yeah, blockbuster. <laughs> all right. Netflix made blockbuster obsolete. Now, you can go all over and look at blockbuster buildings, and they're all, all kinds of other things. Like, oh, dude, that was a block. And, yeah, those are some good memories fighting. Wasn't it a prize when you actually got the good movie on Friday? You know? They messed us up. Now anybody can get it. Redbox, you can order it right off. You know? 
But it was a good challenge. But blockbusters, how about Kodak? Dude, y'all remember Kodak? Yeah, have you ever seen the word Kodak in the last, have you seen it in the last five years or something except at an antique store? Do you remember when they used to have buildings? Remember they had little standalone buildings next to twisty treats? Oh yeah, what's that? And you would, and you would drive by the, the Kodak building to get the 12 prints that five of them you really didn't want, you know, and you had to pay for them anyways. So again, that's obsolete because there's something way better. Dude, you got a phone that you don't even use as a phone. We call it a phone, but if I call you, like, hey, dude, uh, you were supposed to send me an email to tell me that you were going to text me, and I was going to tell you not to call me, but you called me. <laughs> it's a phone, but we have cameras on that, right? And you take a picture, and how many of y'all take a bunch of pictures, right? And then you look at them, and you find the one where you were all, everybody was looking, or the one where everybody had their stomach sucked in, or they were turned the right way, or, you know, right? You find the right picture, and you delete all the other ones, and there it is, because why is Kodak obsolete? Because there's now a better product. And that's what he's saying here. But what Jesus is saying is there's never going to be another better product. Don't worry about this product becoming obsolete. This is the best. The absolute best. When God speaks a new covenant, it means he's made the first one obsolete. It is now out of date and it will soon disappear. And he wrote this before A.D. 70. They were into temple worship and in A.D. 70, his prophecy came true that basically the temple that they worshipped was going to be destroyed. And it was. He said stone upon stone, and they couldn't believe this beautiful temple was going to be destroyed. And in fact, the reason it's rocks upon rocks, when they destroyed it, all the gold got crushed between the different rocks. And then later, people like tumbled all the rocks to get the gold out. There was so much gold in it. And it was nothing more than a pile. And that's what he's talking about soon, AD 70. It's going to be destroyed. Your whole form of temple worship is going to be gone. So I'd jump on this new one if I were you. This one's going to last forever. So the blueprint is now the building. And look, I didn't do what I did to you last week. I, last week I gave you 27 more verses out of <laughs> Revelation, which I was awesome, man, on that. But I want to show you the tabernacle, and I want to show you what Christ has done in the tabernacle. Because, man, the blueprint has now become the building. And, and the old tabernacle, I want you to see Christ in it. And many of you know way more than me. So I'm going to count on you telling me what's, what's going on in that. Oh, by the way, on that clock, is that the right time right now? Yes, because somebody said that somebody set the clock ahead. So I'm thinking, dude, it's only quarter after, and it's like 1130. And uh, so if you're going to reset it to try to trick me, set it uh, earlier. Y'all ever do that with your clocks? Anybody here set your clock back so that, you know, you're on time? Anybody? Come on, man. Nobody does that? Somebody does. All right, Joan does. All right, now that we've had one person admit it, who else sets their clock back? To, yeah, there we go. All right. All right, I knew. Wait, that didn't go obsolete with Kodak, man. Human nature's still the same. All right, so the blueprint is now the building. Check this out. Eight verses out of Exodus. And by the way, if you want to dig further into the tabernacle, and as you read about the tabernacle, try to picture Christ. Continually ask God the Father, ask the Holy Spirit that lives in you to show you Christ in everything about the tabernacle. And you can go back to Exodus 25, 26, 27. You can go back and get the, the details of each one of these articles and go all the way through. And this happens to be the last chapter in Exodus where God says, okay, now do it. Now make it. And then actually later, you could have another 15 verses at the end of this chapter that'll tell you a little more detail. But I'm going to give you some brief detail 
on the tabernacle and how what we have now is not a blueprint, but we have the building and we have something way better. So it says the Lord, that's God, said to Moses, set up the tabernacle on the first day of the new year. And every time you see the tabernacle um, being talked about in scripture, God doesn't start from the outside in. He starts from the inside out. And so what's the most inner part where God dwells? Yeah, the Holy of Holies and the Ark of the Covenant. Yeah, what Indiana Jones is looking for, probably still this day. Right, the Ark, man. And if you go on YouTube, dude, there's a lot of people say they have the Ark, but I don't think they do. <laughs> All right, so anyways, the Ark, that's where God's presence was. And so he starts there and he builds his way out. I'm going to take you there through these eight verses, and then we're going to go as we're going in and take a look at it. But why does God start with the Ark always? That's his presence. What's the most important part of the whole tabernacle? His presence. That's all it was about. It was his home. It's his presence. And, and so why was so Jesus so against the temple in his day? Because it was missing what? It was missing his presence. They had this beautiful, gorgeous building, but the thing that made it worth anything was his presence. Hey, where's the temple of the Holy Spirit now? You, as a believer. You're that temple. And the most important part of you is what? His presence. And his presence will make everything that he's created you to be that much more special, that much more unique, that much more awesome, way more awesome than you can be without it. So he goes on and says, man, the ark, uh, the inner, uh, and, and ins install the inner curtain to enclose the ark within the most holy place. And this inner curtain, do you guys remember what shape heaven was from last week? Anybody wake by that time we were talking about that? Uh, what was the shape of heaven coming down? It was a cube. Guess what the Holy of Holies is shaped like? A cube. Good guess, man. But you can go back and check it out. It's a cube. It's a picture of heaven. And what's in the center of this cube, again, is God, the most important part of it. So I have people, well, you think there's going to be dogs in heaven? And I'm like, well, I don't know where Seth and Charlotte are today. But Seth, Seth, Seth will give you a theological argument that dogs are in heaven. And I'm not going to argue they're not or whatever. But I'm like, dude, well, what about people who hate dogs and like cats? You know, what about, are you, there going to be horses in heaven? I hope not because I'm terrified of horses, man. I want bull sharks in heaven. Well, what about people who hate bull sharks, you know? And so we argue about, well, is there gonna, are we going to eat vegetables or meat? Are we going to like, you know, are there going to be lobster? And, and Dude, you know what? All I know is there's one person mightier and more awesome than anybody that's going to be in heaven. And who's that? God. It's God. I don't think we're going to care about anything else except for who? God. God. Now you're like, but my dog, please don't get send me letters or get a set, oh, you know, get a set becomes, a, I'm not saying dogs and, you know, Fifi, your old Fifi's not going to be there or anything. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying it. I'm not claiming. I'm just claiming right now God's there. Okay. If you want corroboration that animals are in heaven, talk to Seth, not me. But dude, I'm just saying God's there. And that's all we're going to be blown away by in there. And so, and it's that cube. It's the same thing here. And install the inner curtain and enclose the ark within the most holy place. What's that? Most holy place. Because there's a holy place coming up as we get back up. Then he says, bring the table and arrange the utensils on it. And bring the lampstand and set up the lamps. Place the gold incense altar in front of the ark of the covenant. Then hang the curtain at the entrance of the tabernacle. 
And so that's not the, necessarily the curtain that is between the Holy of Holies and the Holy Place. He's talking about just the entrance of the tabernacle itself on that one. And we'll go through and we'll take a look at this. Place the altar of burnt offering in front of the tabernacle entrance. And then he says, set a wash basin between the tabernacle and, and the altar and fill it with water. He goes on and says, then set up the courtyard around the outside of the tent and hang the curtain for the courtyard entrance. So why? Uh, so let's take a look and then uh, at this. So here you are. If this was the Old Testament tabernacle, again, the entrance faced which way? Which way did the entrance face? Anybody know? Go ahead. Just there's only got four options: <laughs> northwest, east, or south. Which way to face? <laughs> Anybody know which way Jesus is coming back from? They say. East. Which way do all the headstones in a tomb, in a in a cemetery face? Generally east. If you check it out, dude. First, first. Um, oh, I know. I didn't know it either. They didn't teach me that in preacher school. The first, the first funeral I did. Now I do them out on water. But the first funeral I did, they're like, Pastor, you're supposed to be there. You know, facing the east. And I'm like, what? And and they told me, go look at cemeteries, and almost every tombstone will be facing the east because people believe that's where Jesus is coming back from the east. And boy, you, as a dead body buried there for a number of years, you sure don't want to miss that, you know, because <laughs> it is dependent on which way you are facing. <laughs> I'm joking. It's not. <laughs> but go look and check it out. So the entrance to the tabernacle is what? The east. OK, the east is where the what rises. And guess what other sun's going to rise from the east? Jesus. And so so the tabernacle faces the east. And as you walk. You enter the tabernacle. Now, the wilderness is where they pitched this thing. And what was the wilderness like? Did they have plush palm trees? Maybe a little clump of them. It was rocky. It was dirty. It was dusty. It was deserty. It was just kind of, there was nothing there. And all of a sudden, when the tabernacle was pitched, what color were the walls on the outside? Does anybody know? What color were they? I'll give you a hint. They learned how to make this fine linen in Egypt as slaves. So what color was it? Purple. No, no. The, the walls were white. Pristine white, man. And, and so in this dirty area, all of a sudden you have this pristine white scenario. And by the way, the tabernacle, the outside walls were probably about 75 foot by 100 foot. That's the size of the whole outside thing. It wasn't this giant thing. In fact, it was relatively small, but you, anybody who wanted to look could just look and just see boom, white pop out from the wilderness right there. And, and yes, the purple and, the, and the, um, the blue and the scarlet were in the door. So check this out, man. Here you are. You're out in the wilderness, and all of a sudden, in the middle of everywhere, this dirty, dark, nasty wilderness, you see this pristine white place. What does that do? What does that do for you? Does that make you want to run and hide from it? No, it makes you want to do what? It attracts you to it. And that's, we live in this world of the wilderness out here. And there's Christ. He's that pristine, white, pure. He's the pure, holy lifestyle that we are desiring to live in when we suffer from the consequences of sin. Man, when you're parched out here in this wilderness and you've tried all your resources and tried to fulfill your life in all the ways that everybody else does and you try to and it's just not satisfying, there's Christ. <laughs> and that's what the picture of the tabernacle, the outer walls were. And then the door was beautiful, scarlet and purple and blue. And so the blue was a light blue and it looked like what? 
The sky, and it remind, that represented heaven, where God was from. The purple represented what? Royalty, which was the king of kings and the lord of lords. And the red represented what? The blood, which at that time was nasty, but the promise was that one day there would be a perfect sacrifice for all of us. And so the picture is there. But you know what's even cooler? What happened is those are all curtains, and they have these, these, these wood pylons coming up that had sockets on the bottom and sockets on the top. And um, on those pylons, those, those things, the sockets on the bottom, do you know what kind of metal they were? They was all wood. A lot, all the wood was covered with gold, but what were the sockets on the bottom made out of? Bronze, which is bronze. And bronze is always a picture of judgment. And so you look at the base of it, and you see judgment because of my sins. But guess what the sockets on the top were made out of? No, nope, no, nope, they were made out of silver. And silver's the color of redemption. Let me ask you a question. Everywhere you see in the Bible where someone's redeemed, what is the, what is the, the fine uh, metal that is used to pay for the redemption? Yeah, what did, Jesus, what did Judas get when he betrayed Jesus? Silver. Everywhere you look in the Bible, silver is redemption. So what a beautiful picture of Christ in the middle of the wilderness. You see this white with this beautiful curtain on the front, this one entrance. And you see bronze representing your judgment that you deserve because of your sin. How many of y'all deserve judgment because of your sin? Anybody? Yeah? And, and, but you look up and you see the silver and you know my sin has been redeemed once you get that. My sin has been redeemed. What great news. Horrible news to say I got judgment. Beautiful news to know there's going to be redemption. And by the way, how many ways were there into this outer courtyard? How many ways? How many doors? One. And who said, I am the way, the truth, the life? Who said, I am the door? Jesus. And there's going to be three doors we're going to see that take you farther and farther and farther into it. And so as you see just the outer section. Now, let me ask you a question. Even if you're, you're tall, could you, could you look over top of, all, of this thing? No, because it was probably about as high as the ceiling. It was about seven and a half, maybe eight feet tall. So the only way to see what is inside is to do what? To go in. <clears throat> you know what? You can't go check Jesus out. You just are either in or you're out. You're not going to get a little ladder and kind of peek over top and like, oh, I, yeah, no, I think I'll stay out here. No, dude, there's one way in and you're either in or you're out. And you got to go in one way. The only way to God is Jesus. And I'm telling you, in your lifetime, you are going to see this concept become intolerant or intolerable. You're going to see a tolerance issue. You already see it now where Christianity is awful exclusive to some people. But that is what God teaches. I joke around about the coexist sticker. And, and it would be okay if the C didn't eat all of the other letters. <laughs> But it does. And, and again, Christianity is just as exclusive as most of those others. And so Jesus is the only way in. What he did on the cross is the only way. You find it, ever find it anywhere else in the Bible, you let me know. But I can show you over and over and over that he is the only way, the truth, the life. Not a way, truth, or life, but the way. So you get inside. This you're all of a sudden out of the wilderness and you come into this beautiful white curtain sanctuary. And it's like, ha. Oh. And as soon as you get in, all of a sudden, man, probably four foot by four foot or maybe like eight foot by four foot, you know, this big old barbecue grill. OK, and, and it's there. 
and it's just raging with fire. And it's got a grate down below. It's set up very much like a very much like a barbecue grill in there. But that's the first thing you see when you're coming in. What happened in that was the altar. And what was that altar made out of? Again? Nope. That one was made out of bronze. Because that one was always what would happen if it was made out of gold, dude? It'd just be melting and everything. That was made out of bronze because the first thing you take care of when you come into God's house is what? Is sin. And every time somebody sinned, man, they threw another animal on there. I, I said last week, man, what would happen if every time you sinned, you had to kill an animal? Would that change your view of sin? Would you like, dude, I don't want to kill any more animals. I'm going to, would that hold you back from sinning just so freely? But that's what Jesus, God wanted everybody to know. Sin is serious. I take it serious. And so, man, an animal had to die. Some of the meat got eaten, but most of it just got burned up. So as soon as you walk into this beautiful thing, God's wanting to take care of your sin. And why would he want to be taking care of your sin? Because what is it that separates you from God? Sin. Sin. He's not a killjoy. He's just holy. He knows how you can have the most fun. And it's not by sin. Sin is fun for a season. How many of y'all know sin's fun for a season? Dude, it's so awesome jumping off a giant high bridge. With no parachute, man. Just jumping off the Golden Gate Bridge or one of those. Woo! How many of y'all could get a thrill jumping off and while you're in the air? In the air, would that not be cool? Until you hit. Yeah. If you had a parachute, it would be kind of cool because then that's going to rescue you. But, but, but why do people jump out of airplanes for the thrill, right? Okay? Sin is pleasurable for a season. It's like jumping off, but what stinks is when you hit and the consequences hit, and every one of us know that. So God says the first thing we're dealing with is sin. That's the bronze altar that's there that takes care of the sacrifices. And after they did that, okay, so we're coming in from the east, and first thing, man, we're throwing animals on. We're having the the sacrifice. You can read all about it in Leviticus. It's where God taught everybody how to worship him. Then next... I mean, if you've just been killing and hey, dude, we just skinned out a little pig the other night, right? I hope you aren't offended by that because I'll tell you whatever you ate last night did not commit suicide. All right. Somebody killed it. Somebody skinned it. It's there. Even your little shrimp. All right. Now you ate you ate vegetables. <laughs> now people say vegetables have feelings, too. All right. I, I know you're not buying that yet, but I'm just saying people are saying that. But listen, uh, so. But man, what do we have to do? Remember when I was field dressing that thing? What was I just, I had, dude, I had to reach in, pull guts out. I hope you're not offended, but man, I, I, I wouldn't have all over me. I had gut juice, I had blood, I had gloves on too. I mean, I'm covered. And what were they doing? The, guy, the guy's like, man, they got, the pigs got diseases, man. You need, they, they were taking ice water and they're like, hey, let me wash your hands. And so what was the next thing I had to do to get all that junk off me? I had to wash. So as you come into the tabernacle, there's the brazen altar. You're offering this, but dude, there was blood splattered everywhere. There were four horns, and they had to splatter blood on this. And God wanted everybody to know that you needed blood to cover sin. There was no other way so that one day when Jesus offered the ultimate blood, ultimately we know sin was covered for once and for all. It always takes blood. What did God used to cover Adam and Eve when they sinned. Do you remember what they did? They went and they made nice little fig leaves, right? How many of y'all dressed up as Adam and Eve for thick? No, don't. For Halloween. I have seen the costume, all right? But I never did it, even in my college days. But what did God do with the fig leaves? Did God say, oh, nice, man. I like what you've done with my plants there. No, what did God do? 
He killed an innocent animal. And he put bloody, warm, recently killed skins on them and said, this is what it takes to cover your sin. And the sin wasn't nakedness, okay? That's not what it was. It was their sin. And right from the beginning, he said it's going to take blood. It's going to be the shedding of blood, which is the killing of a life to take care of your sin. And Christ will be the ultimate end of all of that. And so after you have killed the animals and you have like got blood everywhere, what do you think you need next before you go into the tabernacle? Dude, yeah, you need a water hose, something. You need a way to clean. So here's what they had. They had a thing called a laver, maybe six foot in diameter, and it was polished brass, and it was beautiful. You could actually look into it and see your reflection. And it had water, and they would wash their hands and wash their feet so that they were clean enough to put on the garments and go in. You know, they were clean enough to, to head in there. And so, so to, for us today, let me ask you a question. Do we have to continually offer animals to be able to pay for our sins? No, Christ paid for our sins once and for all. Do, after we, after we, he's paid for our sins, what, what is it in our life that washes us clean? That's like a mirror, according to the book of James, where we can see our reflection and see what's wrong and see what's right and fix things. What is it? What is it that James says is like a mirror? Laura, what is it? It's the word of God. He said, man, he said, he said the word of God. He said, man, don't be like that guy who looks in the mirror and, and sees something wrong and then walks away. He said, it's there to show us what's wrong. We need to be in the word of God. That's how Jesus has fulfilled it. He's, he's, we have the completed word of God with the Holy Spirit living in us who will teach us how to apply the word of God to our lives. But in order to see what's wrong, we got to look in there, right? Because how many of y'all know that you overestimate how good you are and underestimate how bad you are? Yeah, I'll just give you an example again. Uh, how many of y'all have ever taken a bad picture? <laughs> and you're like, dude, that's not me. No, that is you. That is what you look like when you're not posing. <laughs> Seriously, that's what you look like for it was Photoshop. That's really what you look like to the world. We overestimate how good we are and underestimate how bad we are. And we need something that is the truth that's going to show us a picture of who we are. And that's the word of God. So our sins have been taken care of eternally by God. But there's a practical sense that we've got to clean ourselves up. And sometimes we get in this mentality, of, oh, God doesn't care about this. God doesn't care about this. Oh, this is good. This is bad. And we come up with our own system of, of righteousness. But God has a system that's been around, a system that's going to last for how long? And is it ever going to change? No. And he said, this is my standard for righteousness. I don't care what your standard for righteousness is. I don't care what the world's standard for righteousness is. I don't care what Fox says. I don't care what CNN says. I don't care what the government says. This is my standard for righteousness. Always has been, always will. And I am the final judge. You better figure out what my standard for righteousness is. And again, it's so easy for all of us to get lured into like, oh, well, you know, oh, this is okay. This is okay. When we look into God's word, he shows us what's right. He shows us what's wrong. He shows us how to fix it. He shows us how to take the right path. And, he, and that's the labor. That's where we now clean ourselves up. And see something green and hanging out of her teeth. And she's like, oh, I don't want to go there. You know, you got to fix it, right? Okay, so then there's the labor. So now where do we walk into next? Now we walk into the holy place, okay? And the holy place in there, there's another be beautiful curtain. 
And what are the colors of the curtain again? They're purple, blue, and red. What's the blue for? Heaven. What's the purple for? Royalty. What's the red for? For the sacrifice that he would make. And the outside of that, that, holy, that holy place is actually made with gold-covered boards. They're, they're upright like this, held together with sockets. And so if you were to look from the outside, dude, it's gold. Covered wood. Do you remember what kind of wood that was? Acacia wood. Yeah, beautiful acacia wood, but they, they covered the wood with gold. And that's a picture of Christ. Because the wood, what happens to wood if you just leave it out? It deteriorates, it rots. Wood doesn't last forever. And that's Jesus' body. That's his humanity, is the wood. But they covered it with gold, which represents Jesus' what? <laughs> Jesus' kingship that's going to be forever. And so each of those boards on the outside and on the inside, they're gold. But when you walk in that curtain, just when they first set it all up, there's coverings, man. There's like three or four different coverings we're not going to go into today. But inside, it's pitch dark. What good would anything on the inside be if you couldn't see it? So as you walk in on the south side, you know what they have made out of one 75-pound piece of gold? A lampstand. Seven lamps, and, and, and they had the most finely pressed olive oil, and they light it up. So what happens, and, and even when they were designing it, guys, Bezalel and Aholiab, those are my heroes, dude. They were the ultimate craftsmen. God put in their heart how to design this. And they designed it so that it would just shoot light everywhere. Now, the inside walls are made out of what metal again? Gold. Can you imagine these lights now in this little room? Uh, being all of a sudden just hit with gold. Would that not be beautiful? And behind you, you see this beautifully intricate woven uh, entrance made of, of the blue and the, the purple and the red and has gold thread through it. And then on the other end, you see another curtain that has the same colors and there's gold on the sides. Can you imagine how gorgeous that is once the lights hit it? Is that not beautiful? Who's the light of the world? So what's the difference when that light's not on? And when it is on, what? It's beautiful. So when it's not on, it's ugly, it's black, it's dark. But when it's on, it's beautiful. Did you know that's the world we live in? Do you know that's your life? When his light's not on, it's not very good, is it? When the light's not on, you're in the same beautiful place, but you are not, you're missing everything. But when his light is on, dude, it's gorgeous. Have you ever noticed that? When you're seeing life from God's perspective, things going on may not be awesome, but you know his plans for you are. Dude, it's like the guy, um, when I, a long, long time I heard, anybody know what Limburger cheese is? Yeah, yeah I, I yet to this day have some, but so if anybody wants to bring me some, if you can even find it, I, I, just so I could firsthand experience, you know, but I heard that this guy, he was, he was sleeping and he was laying in his favorite chair. And, and, and his kids, grandkids, as a trick, when he went to sleep, rub Limburger cheese in his mustache. And so all of a sudden, I mean, this dude went to sleep in his favorite chair, in his favorite room, in his favorite place, doing his favorite thing, lounging back. Life couldn't have got any better. They rub Limburger cheese. Can you imagine that, Gary, all in your whole Fu Manchu, man? And all of a sudden, in your favorite chair, favorite room, all of a sudden, oh, this room stinks. <laughs> this chair stinks. Everywhere he went, it stunk. And he couldn't escape the stink. Was it the room that stunk? Was it the chair that stunk? Was it the environment he was in that stunk? No, what stunk? His mustache. 
where the way he was seeing, uh, taking, taking it in, that's what stuck. And so again, the most beautiful room in the world when, when the lights are on, which is Jesus, and you're seeing it that way, it's gorgeous. When the lights are off, man, it's horrible. It's dark. It's scary. And so they had to light that up, and Jesus is the light of the world. Now, on the north side, when you look in, there was a table with utensils. And by the way, everything was gold there, gold-covered wood, basically. And what was on that table? Does anybody remember? Bread. It was 12 loaves of bread. Actually, not loaves. They were actually unleavened bread that were stacked up six in two stacks of six. And this bread basically uh, represented Christ again. How? Jesus says what? I am the, the bread of life. In other words, all you need is me. You don't need anything else. I, I am the bread of life. And, that, and that's, you, you, man, you won't starve. You won't die. You won't be let down if you put everything you got into me. So we've got the light. We've got the bread. But if the light's not on, do you know where the bread's at? No. You're groping in the dark. So he may want, be wanting to provide everything you need. But the light's not on in your life, so you can't find it. You're missing how beautiful it is. You're missing everything, man. And so, again, when you walk in, there it is. Now, all of a sudden, there's this big curtain, and in front of it is a gold, a gold altar, and that's the altar of what? Incense. And so as incense, when you burn incense, which way does the smoke go? It goes up, right? And so that represented our prayers. The, they were doing the prayers. The high priest would do those prayers saying, God, accept this, accept this. Don't kill me when I go into your presence because your presence is so holy and I'm not. But now we have a sacrifice that's always acceptable. And who's praying for us? We learned that in Hebrews not too long ago. Who is always living to pray for us? Jesus. So there he is. He's always praying for us. He's always interceding on our behalf. And so do we ever have to worry about God the Father accepting our sacrifice, which is Christ? No. So then there was this thick. They say it was as thick as your, you know, your hand, that thick of a, of, of a, of a curtain there that nobody could. Man, they, in fact, when they tore it down, they basically would throw it on top of the ark so nobody messed with the ark. But that curtain was there, and it was a boundary between you and a holy, righteous God. Now, was God being mean, not letting you go to see him? No, because without your sin covered, what would happen if you went and saw God? Dude, he's striking you dead. He is righteous. He is holy. Again, I'm telling you, that's why it's important to know his rules, to know his terms. It doesn't matter what anybody else's terms are. He is ultimate and sovereign and in charge of this entire universe. It's his world. And he gets to choose how we play. And so this curtain was to protect you. But when Jesus died on the cross at noon to 3 o'clock when it was pitch dark and he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And, and it's finished. And into your hands I commit my spirit. What happened to the curtain? It tore. It tore. We were no longer separated from God. Now, doesn't that make us vulnerable? He put there for our protection. Now, don't we die now because there's no curtain between us? No. What Christ did on the cross now protects us. And we can now come into the presence of God. How often can, Penny, how often can you come into the presence of God? Yeah, how often could the high priest come in? Once a year. Once a year. That was it. We come in anytime we want. When's the last time you dove into the presence of God? We have access to him through what Christ did on the cross. Now, what was in there, we get back down into the middle again, into the Ark of the Covenant. We're almost done. The Ark. 
That was where God's presence was. Again, it was wood covered with gold, symbolizing Jesus's, Jesus's uh, humanity and his, his kingliness right there. And on top of it was a thing called a mercy seat. And so on this mercy seat, because in it was like there was God's presence. Okay? And so the high priest, when he came in once a year, what did he sprinkle on top of that mercy seat? Blood. Because that's what God said. Again, he wanted the picture of blood being the only thing saving you from being an unrighteous person in front of a holy, righteous God. Fortunately, now we have Jesus' blood that's always acceptable. And on that mercy seat, there were two angels over top of it, similar to the angels that he left in the garden protecting the tree of eternal life, which are you grateful for that? How many, man, this is what 55 years looks like on a body. Can you imagine 5,500 years on this body? If he would not have protected the tree of eternal life, imagine going through eternal life in this body. He protected from that. But now, so he was using those angels as showing protection. And inside the ark, there were three things. Anybody remember what were inside the three of Inside there? Okay, there was the, the, the testament or the covenant, the Ten Commandments. That was his contract, his deal with them. And in that, and that was, now we have a new covenant, and it was ratified by the blood. Other thing we have in here is we had the, the rod of Aaron. Now, a rod, when you had a rod, is that living or dead? It's dead. But what did God make happen on Aaron's rod? It came alive. There was, well, yeah, oh, yeah, with Egypt, it came, became a snake. And, dude, I have no problem throwing it down and it becoming a snake. I have more problem when God says, pick it back up again, and the, and the snake becomes a rod. But more important than that, at the very end, what happened, it grew what on it? It started growing buds. Yeah. And so it, it, it's a symbol. It's in there to symbolize I can take something dead and make it alive. Anybody glad for that? Yeah. And then it had one other thing in there. It had the, the jar of manna. Dude, manna. Manna were little coriander-sized seeds of Dixie Cream Donuts, bro. I'm just telling you. Man, if you, you think Krispy Kreme's good, go to Fort Pierce and get some real Dixie Creams, man. It was so good, somebody just recently broke in there, all right? They, threw, they, they broke in. They were stealing money, not donuts. But, but dude, um, man, little coriander-sized donuts. It was sweet, and you didn't get fat off of it. It, it wasn't unhealthy, uh, we don't know what this manna was, but it sustained them for 40 years. And it's all they ate. And it took care of them. And it was free. It was there. And that's a symbol, again, of God being able to provide. So, again, man, I don't know what you need in this. But what I want to ask you is why would you want to live off the blueprint? Now, I know none of you are going to the temple and worshiping. But I wonder how many of us are just striving, trying really hard just to obey the Bible. We're just trying really hard to obey his rules and just, oh, and, and, and again, it doesn't go from your head to your heart. It goes from your heart to your head. If you will seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, if you will develop a relationship and find out how much he loves you, you'll fall that much more in love. And when you fall in love, you'll do crazy things for people you're in love with. You'll, you, you will want to do nothing but follow him when it comes from the inside out. Following the blueprint is trying to do it from the outside in. When Jesus told us the kingdom principles, do it from the inside out. That's how we live in the building called Christ. And it comes from just surrendering everything you know about yourself to everything you know about him. So again, the building's available. If you've never given your life to Christ, but you have a desire to do that right now, you can. That desire even is from him. And you say, well, I'll do it tomorrow. You don't even know the desire's going to be there tomorrow. 
He said, it's like the wind. You don't know when it's coming. You don't know when it's leaving, but you know when it's there. Follow it. Is there anybody here that's ever given their life to Christ that said, you know what? I really, really wish I hadn't done that. How many of y'all wish you did it sooner? Yeah. So, man, if that's you today, surrender yourself to him. But maybe you got caught in the trap where they are. It just seems a little easier. Just try to pick out some rules and obey them so you can kind of keep feet in both worlds. But you know that it's hindered your real true relationship with him. And you find now that you're really living in the blueprint when really, when you just totally sell out, you're living in the building. And you're pretty stoked. It's a beautiful world, but you've got to have his light to see it. Let's pray. Father, I pray first of all that if there's someone here that's not sure where they're going when they die, that today you'd give them a desire and ability to believe that the only sacrifice for their sins is, is what Christ did on the cross. They can only believe that if you reveal that to them because it can't go from their head to their heart. It's got to go from their heart to their head. And Father, um, I pray you'd give them that desire and ability to just surrender everything they know about themselves to everything they know about you and then trust for you to do the rest in their lives. Father, um, I know most people in here are believers, profess to be believers, but Father, I pray that you would show us areas of our life where we're living in the blueprint, where we're trying to follow the rules, we're trying to obey some standard. We've even compromised the standard because we know we, like the Jews of that day, we can't keep the full standard, so nobody can, so we've kind of come up with our own system or standard. When that's not what it was about, it was about us seeking you first, seeking you always, seeking you only. And watching you do a transforming work in our heart, changing our heart to desire nothing but you. Help us fall more in love with you, Father, so we can fall more in love with others. And Father, this is my prayer in Jesus' name.